Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media, change, and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the three words travel, transform, and thrive. And here to discuss is Kathy McCabe, who has done just that. Kathy is the creator, host, and executive producer of the TV travel series Dream of Italy, which is distributed to over 97% of the United States via PBS and is the number one watch program of any genre distributed by American Public Television on Amazon Prime. Kathy is also the host of the Dream of Italy podcast, which the New York Times recommends as one of the 13 podcasts for wandering souls. Kathy began her career in journalism at ABC News and holds a master's in nonfiction writing from Johns Hopkins and is a graduate of the Stanford University Publishing Program for Mid-Career Professionals. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, I'm so happy to be with you today. Oh, I, I am so happy you are here and that we connected and could be having this conversation. So I'm genuinely very, very excited for a number of reasons. But one, I had to tell you, if I had a dollar for every single person who said, I want to host a travel show, I'd literally be recording from my my own villa in Italy and not from my office in Brooklyn, New York. And so I think it's extraordinary and amazing that you've done this remarkable thing and that it all started with a travel magazine and uh, the Dream of Italy membership. <laughs> I have one. Website. One. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. But you yeah. can get this all the way back in 2002. Yes. Your yes. 20. Show. It's our 20th anniversary. Well, first of all, hats off to you in French. You know, chapeau to you. I have no idea how to say that in Italian. But the point is, one of my number one truisms is you have to play the long game. This does not happen overnight. So first of all, how has travel transformed you and allowed you to thrive? Wow, gosh, I mean, that's a huge question. And I remember how it started was my mom heard about this new airline called People Express back in the 80s. Yeah, I grew (laughs) up in New Jersey. And um, she wanted to take me and my dad, I'm an only child to London. And we went and it was my first overseas trip. And um, I later ended up uh, majoring in European studies at Georgetown. So it was totally changed my life. I fell in love with Europe. So from a young age, it transformed me. And my grandparents, who were Italian-American, who were my daycare, before I was born, sort of between when they retired and then they were taking care of me, they traveled, I think, to almost every continent. And my grandfather was a railroad engineer. He just saved his money And they traveled, which was very unusual, like the 60s and 70s at their age and their sort of socio-demographic. So they were big travelers. And then this whole dream of Italy really started. It's a much longer story of people come and watch um, at pbs.org. They can watch an episode called Castelvetere. My mother and I, the month after I graduated from college, went to find her ancestral hometown in southern Italy. And it's like a movie. My grandfather, his dream was to see his father's town. My great grandfather had left and he went in the 60s. He was taken to the wrong town. So he was 93 years old in a nursing home in the United States when my mother and I show up in this town. And it was like Brigadoon. My mother said it was like Brigadoon. Once in 100 years, they kind of come alive. And, you know, everyone looked like my mother's family and they all had the same name. And 
about two days, 36 hours later, my grandfather died in the U.S. And one of the men in the town, one of my cousins who I stayed in touch with his whole, the rest of his life said he never, he didn't leave this earth until your mission was complete. Mm. So that was my first trip to Italy. So well, now you've very, explained where the dream of Italy comes from. Very personal <laughs> for me, very, very personal. And then I later, when I had the show, went back to Castel Vettore with my parents. My mother had stage four cancer and filmed an episode and they have both since passed away, unfortunately, very but I have that episode and people write to me all the time about it because it's so personal. And I think everyone wonders where they're from or wonders where they belong or where they feel at home. And I just kept going on my vacations. When I worked in journalism, I just kept going to Italy. And it's a place people go back to. So the way the magazine, it was a newsletter started is when I worked at USA Today in their travel section, their online travel section, I edited the columns. And one of the guys I edited is Rudy Maxa. And he had a newsletter, print newsletter called um, Rudy Maxa's Traveler. And I said, we went to lunch one day and I said, what, what do you think about Italy? And he's like, oh, do it you know, do it before someone else do it, does it. I regret, you know, I wasn't, I didn't do, mine isn't a, a niche enough or niche enough. Now, sometimes I think I'm in this one, one, you know, but that's how I started it. And I started it very quickly from the idea, you know, I think the idea was May and I started in September. I'm very sort of take action type person. And, you know, I didn't know I would be doing it 20 years later. I just wanted, I loved Italy and I thought there were a lot of other people who loved it too. Well, clearly you were onto something. So now backing up, I'm a huge believer in the power and validity of the newsletter still after all this time, direct communication yes. with your audience and, and building community. So and you obviously did it very successfully. So if somebody hasn't started a newsletter yet, but they're thinking about that, one, you just mentioned the power of the niche, but two, in those five months from June to September, what did you do in order to be able to launch a newsletter? So this was a print newsletter, um, but you know I had worked at USA Today, so we were blogging back then. So it had a blog. So still to this day, you can get it in the mail. I've, I've hung on to print but you can get 190 back issues online, you know, covering every part of Italy. So back when I was doing it, I think I used constant contact for the email. Now it's easier than ever, right? And so many people are doing Substack. What I think you want to have access to is people's emails. I don't think, and I assume through Substack, I don't have Substack that you get the list. You want to make sure you always have the list. That is the point. Because you're in direct contact. And I and feel like these people who are on Instagram and have a million followers, but who have not collected their emails, right. what if Instagram goes, you know, the way of Twitter or, uh, you know, well, something wait, happens? Kathy, I'm going to interrupt you because the, the real example, Facebook, what it was it, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, got rid of fan pages. I had clients <laughs> who had north of a million fans. And oh overnight, and overnight, they just said, we're not doing it anymore. And then you were wiped out. There wasn't like you can archive. Yeah. Just, just having that direct email, like, and the reason we reconnected was your email newsletter um, to me and something in there resonated. And I love hearing, like when I send out 
I have a free list, you know, I have a list of people who aren't paid members too. And I send out emails and, you know, I read every single one. I try to respond to every single one. And I love hearing what resonates with people and it's a relationship. Yes. And I had this really, and I remember, and I was sort of, he, no one would believe it, but I'm somewhat shy in some some ways. But um, I remember a guy, I went to a newsletter, I mean, a print newsletter convention. And he's like, you need to put your name on every email and your photo on every email. This is back in 2002, because they're really buying from you. They're really, it's a relationship with you. And I, if I could tell you about the emails I get from people who watch me on TV, I, we have a relationship. We have, um, I've met, you know, people email me or say like, maybe they're a member and they're going to, I live in Denver. They're going to be in Denver and we go and we have coffee. I, I have this last trip to Italy, this really, this has happened before, but this happened more than ever. About six different people recognized me from the show, like Americans. Now there's two reasons I've been recognized in the U S but in Italy, I'm usually wearing makeup and I'm in context, right? I'm not, you know, taking a hike and then, you know, in Colorado, you're, you're seeing me the way you see me on, on TV. And what happened is, this is so funny. I brought my dog. He's 13 and a half blind. Amazing. Basically, I was like, after COVID, I cannot leave this dog. So I brought him and he turned into his own little Instagram star which wasn't intentional. I'm just a crazy dog person. And this couple who watched the show had emailed me a few times. They're walking by the hairdresser in Cortona and they see this dog and they're like, is that Kathy's dog? And they come in and I'm inside. This is very Italian. And they took me to lunch. Just people who'd watched the show. And so that's like the whole, but it's all started, you know, with the relationship with the the people who read the newsletter, read the magazine. And then, you know, it's so weird though. I don't know if you talk to people about this, like when you're on TV, you don't know who's watching, you know, it's, it's crazy when you hear from people, like you're sort of out there and on PBS. And I think I mentioned this to you, the amazing thing about PBS is it's repetition. So season one aired, premiered eight years ago, it's still airing. So I really have, sometimes I'm shocked at the scope of how many people have seen this show. That's fantastic. The other thing too, is you're not just building an audience. You've truly built a community and, and, and you're in this whole parasocial relationship that you have with your audience that, and you bring joy. I, I just love all of this. So walk us through. So you, you build this newsletter. At some point, um, you add a digital component to the print newsletter. Oh, I started with it in 2002. Always been like a little bit ahead. Amazing. And, yeah. And that's because I worked at usatoday.com. So, I mean, I was into email newsletters and blogs. And so since the beginning, you could get the PDF and it's a membership website and you log in and then every article is on a web page. And, and then Elaine, who works for me, has over the years updated the articles. And so it's, it's really a library of uh, it's so much content and like that brings, that comes to a whole other thing of owning your content, but that's like a whole other story we could talk about, but. No, that is really important because this is what gets into, because I have a question then about how, how you get from where you begin to actually launching and, and turning it into a television show. 
which so, is an enormously long, huge project and process. And we're going to get into this. And and your point is owning content. Okay, everybody who's listening, write that one down because that's another important point. Gather emails and own your content. Take it away, Kathy. Um, <laughs> but then I wonder, and maybe you could fill me in. You know, for people who are hired to host a show, you know, how do they then build their relationship? But they should have a presence. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very long story. It's an unusual story. Um, a director who had done a documentary for PBS approached me and said, would you like to uh, do Dream of Italy as a TV show? And I said, sure. But the whole thing about, and I had worked in TV news and I had not been on air, but I had, when I worked, I worked at Worldwide Television News in London years, 20 years ago. And uh, I did voiceover. So I had done some, something Um, But the whole thing with getting the PBS show on, uh, the huge component was you bring your own funding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is where maybe relationships and reputation comes in because I basically kind of took over the fundraising. And I, again, this little shy part, obviously I sell a product, but I hate selling. I even hate to say that I hate selling, but I sell. Wait, can I share if it helps the something that was helped me so much was looking at one sales is just enthusiasm transferred so you're just <laughs> and then brian pataka who was a guest on my podcast oh said, yeah i know who he is yeah. right i love him he's like marketing is just sharing your gifts and i love marketing i love talking about marketing i could sit here and i could like talk to you for 10 hours about marketing but be- to make this dream come true we had to raise quite a bit of money because we did it two cameras sound director fixer like not a small crew um because it's a high quality show and i cold called and emailed mostly emailed um uh travel companies and viator uh the cmo at the time new dream of italy and basically did it based on um the reputation of dream of italy and the director and so that's where the relationships and the other thing is I could have made a lot more money over all these years, but I was old school. So like the newsletter, the magazine, like nobody pays to get into it. Um, I didn't do affiliate stuff for years. Like, and, and if you, if I do an affiliate thing online, you know, it's an affiliate. I could have made so much more money, but I had this really great reputation, which I think, you know, you see with Viator being the first sponsor sort of paid off. A lot of the segments we did that first season came from the magazine or things that I had done. And probably I should almost want to run and get uh, one of my favorite segments. And this person who's had so many people come because we filmed with her is Chianti Kashmir, a friend of mine who's an American who moved to Italy like 30 years ago. She's a veterinarian. She raises cashmere goats in Chianti. You know, so these were things I had done over the years. And we, you know, some we did some new things that I hadn't experienced before. Uh, but that is how it started. What essential skills and like strengths and superpowers do you feel that you have that allowed you to do this? You know, I have done 190 issues over 20 years of this magazine, and I have had some very difficult like life things in those years. I never missed an issue. I'm really tenacious and committed to um, what I do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess. And believing it was possible, I suppose, like, okay, we can get this money. 
And, and anyone I should, you know, the PBS travel hosts, oh, I didn't go this year. We, there's usually a fall marketplace and I see a lot of them and everyone, it's not easy to raise the money. PBS offers an amazing, amazing outlet, but it, it it's not, it's not the easiest thing. And I've done it again and again and again. Um, and so a lot of that is just tenacity and, um, Doing things that would also make the show interesting. Um, I've had like a handful of celebrities on over the years, and those are all great stories of how that came to be. I know I did want to ask you how you get into celebrity bookings, because as someone who's done a lot of celebrity bookings over the years, that's a specialty and it's not easy. Well, my first one is such a great story and I, I really adore him so in 2012, when I was doing the magazine, um, Francis Ford Coppola opened um, nice. a nine-room hotel. But, you know, I love him because of our Italy uh, connection. I'm sure he, he feels the same about you. Yes, yes. And he um, he opened this palazzo and very deep, deep in the southern Italy in Basilicata. And I, I think it was one of the trips I was by myself. I drove all the way down there. And... I was so moved by this place because it was, you know, his grandfather's town that he had rediscovered in his 20s, which is what I had done. And, you know, this was his love letter to the town, to Italy. And I think I only spent one or maybe two nights and I watched, you know, he has 300 films that he's selected, maybe even more, 500 in the salon. And you can watch one of the movies and they brought me like an amaretto and, um, I actually watched, I didn't watch The Godfather. I watched Christ Stopped at Eboli, which was about the poverty of Southern Italy, which, mm. you know, my family as well, of course, was from that area. And to think, oh my God, look at us now. Not that I'm anywhere near him, but I'm, you know, coming, like, look, look what we've done. So I literally, and this was, I have, and this is the thing. And I think why the celebrities like me, I'm very genuine. And I had no intention beyond, I wrote a handwritten note to him letter to him and just said, wow, I just was so blown away by this. No, I didn't have a TV show. I wasn't trying to interview him. I was just really moved. And then when the first season came out, the PR firm that wrapped the hotel emailed me and just said, oh my gosh, congratulations. And I wrote back and I said, you know, do you think Mr. Coppola would do an interview? And I don't know if he remembered the letter or they knew the letter or he said yes. And, uh, you know, I went actually with my mom. We only I only was going to film the interview. It wasn't the, a whole episode at the time. And it um, and that was the first one I did. And then I think when the other celebrities like Sting um, could see what I had done and what we're really talking about is our common ground of Italy, of, of our passion. And of course, I talked to Coppola a lot, a lot about his movies and inspiration, but a lot of that didn't make it into the episode. And so we're just two people talking about how much we love Italy and all of the celebrities have been like that. Mm. So one, it's such an important part of anything is you actually, you asked and you asked both respectfully and professionally but also with a lot of passion. So that's wonderful. And the other thing you're touching on too is this notion of common ground because a lot of celebrities say no because they don't want to, you know, it's exhausting to be promoting all the time. And the fact that you found something that speaks to the heart is really- Yeah, really and you know, wonderful. we just did, I just did an episode with um, Marissa Tomei and actually I brought the, the Madonnas you see behind me 
are some of the things I bought. Uh, we went to these shrines for black, these black Madonnas in Southern Italy. And Marissa um, was very interested in this topic and agreed to do an episode. And again, it, it's a heartfelt thing. And the craziest thing, just by chance and all these things that lined up, she ended up staying in my ancestral, we all ended up staying in my ancestral hometown of Castelvetre, which is just a thousand people. And it was just a really random full circle moment. <laughs> is there anything you know now that you wish you knew then that would have made this easier or a tip you would share with someone else starting out? Oh, that's really good. You know, what I regret from really the beginning of my career is I had plans to go, I or I had... I remember I, I won this like fellowship for the University of Maryland. I did this entrepreneurship fellowship for like one semester. And I had this big plan to make uh, Dream of Italy, like almost like a Martha Stewart brand type thing. And this was in 2007. And all these uh, really difficult things, What? Uh, not even to get into my life, but my condo that I lived in had toxic mold which affected me for many years. And so like my big plan, just, I just, my plan for years, because I really had health issues, nobody could know on the outside. I just kept the business going. So it's so weird because it came, but much later, you know, it, it, it maybe what I was going to do sooner happened, but just happened a little bit later. But I think I wish I'd thought a little, you know, I've done this as a passion. I wish I, you know, I was talking to my financial advisor about something and he's like, well, what's the exit plan? You know, and I didn't have an exit plan. Like when I started, I wasn't a tech company or, um, and I'm not saying people should have an exit plan, but it's nice to think big and what are the steps to get there? Um you know, I don't know if I do anything so differently. It is hard, hard, hard work though. But the TV show, if you had, if I had, if I broke it down hourly, you know, <laughs> because I own the comp, I own the production companies. I read every agreement. I do all the 1099s, you know, I'm, you know, every two uh, when I go and I do a cooking lesson in Italy, I will tell you the work of the show, and this is what people don't realize, five or 10% is me appearing on air. It's it's almost minuscule compared to all the other work that goes behind it. And you know, a TV is such a laborious process of editing and stringing out and the music and the clearances and the captioning. And so travel. Yeah. Production insurance, errors and emissions insurance. I'm also super careful. Like I am, you know, everybody gets the, I was very impressed with you, Barbara, that you sent me a release. I've been on so many podcasts. Nobody sends me a release. And you know what? I'm not sure I've gotten a release for my podcast, but for the TV show, everything is cleared, 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 cleared. And so I think I would encourage people to learn all the aspects of the business from the beginning you know, maybe take an editing. I don't edit. I should have taken a, an editing class even to edit like our podcasts or um, even a graphic design class. And, you know, I had other things going on. And But I think to learn other skills. And uh, I have a friend in Denver, her name's Jennifer Broom, and she was a meteorologist. She still is, but she does a lot of adventure travel and travel content. And 
I think a lot of what she does is like, she'll go to a national park and she'll set up the camera and she'll set up the shoot. So now more than ever, she does a lot on the weather channel and, you know, she's a one man band a lot of the time. So that wasn't quite the way it was years ago, but people to learn all those skills of shooting and lighting, like, you know, I'm like, oh God, this window, right? But I've learned a little about what to put behind you. And I, I learned this years ago when I worked at ABC, um, but to learn all those parts of the business. And what I find fascinating is the business of the business. Like, mm -hmm. how do people make money? You know, and um, like people make money. The, so what people don't realize about PBS or the show is I do not make money every time it airs at all. For me, it's the sponsorships and mm -hmm. I keep what's left over. So I have to raise enough to produce the show. And then whatever left over is what I make. Yeah, so you have um, to be a line producer, which is its own incredibly important skill. Yeah, and usually I don't know how much money I'm getting. Like the Sting thing, I had the opportunity to go. So I put out my own money to do it. And then there was COVID. And so I'm producing the show and I have a sense of what it's costing, but I don't really know what I'm going to get. It's always a risk. So you know, it's another way to risk is, is to grow comfortable with risk. Right. Oh, I'm very, see, I think I'm crazy. I'm very, very, very. So I just filmed the most of season three in September without a sponsor. And then I just got a sponsor this week. Wow. But I knew I was going to do it. You know, you're out there creating opportunity. That is impressive. And it is powerful. Another thing, thing is if I'm putting my, I think it comes through to sponsors and other people. We have skin in the game. If I got, I've got all the skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also I want to go back to what you said in the beginning and because it's something um, for anybody listening to go back to, you have a reputation and you've protected it and you've developed it along with those relationships. And so the sponsors know what they're getting. You have a track record. Uh, not only do you have a track record, you have this body of work and you have 20 years plus of consistency behind you. That's yeah. volumes. And I, I just think that says so much about you. I also want to touch on something that we were talking about as we were, you know, getting ready to record. And that is part of the idea that in this wonderful travel category, which people of all ages enjoy, but how powerful it is for people who are in midlife and later in life. And that it's an incredible, for some people, a second and third act or chapter career. And so I just didn't know if you could speak to a little bit of the people that you're in touch with and your own story. Because I was also really interested in the idea of like mid-career publishing at Stanford. It was so cool. I don't know if Stanford still does it, but, um, you know, it was really about the business because I come from the journalism side and the creative side. And I still, that's my, I mean, but I love talking about marketing, but God, show me a spreadsheet. And that's what I would encourage people. Like, I wish I'd not that I wish I'd gone to business school or anything, but I wish I was. Uh, no, but uh, some of us coming from the creative. I talk about this a lot because when I came up and sorry to interrupt you, but when I came up and I was at MTV Networks, literally business affairs was in a different building. Creative yeah. and business were separate. And I, so I think it's really, that's something I do admire so much with a lot of younger people and, and certain influencers and different people coming up. And especially, you know, artists in hip hop and different places where there's such an embracing of both the creative and the business and not seeing them as separate. And so that I constantly feel like I've spent the last, you know, 20 years playing catch up. Yes. And um, so I think learning the business part 
And the business has changed. Oh. And even PBS is like a, a bit of a its own entity in the way that it works. And then though we do then license to Amazon Prime and these other places, but the, on this idea of a second act, not only you know, do I believe in it? I obviously wasn't in my 20s when I started appearing on TV. I have covered, I have uh, written about, you see my book, which was a companion book to our recent special, Dream of Italy, Travel, Transform, and Thrive. And what I did is I took travel and we took it to the next level about how it changes our lives. And then also how it inspires us to go, to live, to live part-time, to do an extended stay or sabbatical. And one of the people in the show was Sally, who was 70 years old when she was, she was a widow and moved to Florence. So it's never too late. And then I follow this woman um, on YouTube, Janice in France. She's 70 and she moved to Paris. And I think one of the people who was sort of revolutionary in this is my friend Frances Mays, who we did a whole episode with her called Dream of Italy um, Tuscan Sun Special. You can see that on PBS.org. And Frances, you know, was not in her 20s when the book came out uh, or the movie. And one thing she said um, in our interview is that she found women especially come to Italy on a quest. So I think Italy has resonated with people for second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter. But I think even though I get discouraged when we see the Instagram influencers with all their plastic surgery and they're young, we are a world where people are making dreams come true later. You know, it does happen. And I love encouraging people to do that. And it doesn't mean you have to move to Italy, but it might be your own version of that, like to take a class or to start. My mom was a, uh, a special education teacher. And because, you know, I would travel to Italy a lot and all my friends, you know, they're in their 20s, 30s. They get two weeks vacation. My mom, my dad, you know, they were happily married, but my dad would stay home with the dog and my mother would come to Italy and she started a jewelry business. She started um, making, and I should have one of her pieces on, but I don't, but she started making Venetian glass jewelry and uh, it was called Dream of Italy Designs and she did shows and she did juried shows and I, um, we used to sell uh, some of the smaller pieces on my website. So my mother herself was, and my mom would never have said, oh, I didn't know I was artistic. So even in my own family. And um, so I do think, and I think when I'm telling you, I think people watching who are wanting to host a show or be an influencer or have a YouTube channel, which, you know, that's a huge opportunity I'm watching people of every age on there. You know, Janice in France, I love, I just can't wait to see what she's doing. So I think both in terms of trying to get into the business and who is buying travel, right? Women and women in their 40s, 50s, 60s in the household, if they're a couple. So you see these influencers who are in their 20s and they're at this, you know, luxury villa. Well, their audience, they're their generation can't afford to go to it. So it's a little sometimes of a mismatch um, where we, I think we want to see people. And I have a friend who said to me, you know, you're like the friend people want to go on a trip with. So that's a very nice thing that he said, but we were talking about different hosts and like, he felt like Rick Steves was very instructive. And I mean, he's the master on how to do these things, like how to plan it, how to go to the museums and things. So I think, there's all kinds of roles for people. 
Um, but when you think about who's spending the money on travel, it's, you know, middle age and, and up. That's such a good point. I've got a question for you. What's the next big dream for you? And is there any place you want to go besides Italy that you haven't been? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I'm like, I want to take a vacation because Italy is like exhausting because I'm always like, you know, I know a lot of people and there is a possibility I might do a show uh, with a different uh, geographical focus. And my next dream is I'm actually, I'm so much, uh, in fact, I believe this weekend I will finish a book proposal for a memoir. Oh, fantastic. About a lot of my parents going back to this town. Um, we have an incredible Madonna of our own in uh, Castelvetre and my mother, uh, numerous members of her family, but my mother believes, and I believe she had a miracle. Um, she, you know, so she, the show came out. My parents had this party in their back. So my mother, a tent in their backyard in New Jersey and their pizza guy had a pizza truck, Neapolitan pizza truck in the front. And my mother's hairdresser was the guitarist. And it was like our, one of our parties for the show. And then six months later, she was diagnosed with two kinds of cancer, including stage four bladder cancer. And she had six weeks to live and it was bad. And I got her into Sloan and it was bad. And uh, she prayed to this Madonna and she lived for two and a half years, which allowed her to come and do this wow. episode. So there's a crazy, like when I told you the story about my grandfather dying, like it's like a movie, a lot of the personal story, but also my story has had like ups and downs and personal difficulties. And uh, if people really knew <laughs> My life isn't, you know, always this glamour. That's the funny thing about TV, isn't it? People think it's the solves all your problems, but it doesn't. Well, you know what? You bring up a really good point is that we see something and we think that it's easy. But I think um, what you just touched on is, is despite all the challenges and, and really serious life challenges, there's so many blessings. And to me, the big takeaway is, though, is you had a dream and you pursued it. And I you did. And, you know, I don't know happened. that everyone you know, maybe it was something I was born with or the sense of self. I had really, really lovely parents, very supportive parents. You know, I don't have kids. If I had ki had kids, I'm not saying I could or couldn't have done it, but a lot of my energy went into this. It's very personal to me. You know, I didn't start it to make, I, I mean, obviously I wanted to make a living and I still want to make a living, but I didn't start it Sometimes I think like, why didn't I think more about the financial part of it? But I didn't. I do now and I have for years, but I really started it because I, because I loved Italy and thought other people loved Italy too and that there was a market. So you figured out how to make it work for you. And the, again, the big thing, not only did you follow your dream, but you bet on yourself, which is such a, a powerful thing that any of us can do. I could talk to you all day, Kathy. But so to wrap up, I just wanted to put in a big, plug. You've got your book and you also have the new season coming up in 2023. And we've got Marissa Tomei in a very special episode. I didn't know if there were any other nuggets or things that you wanted to toss out there for us. Oh, it will be, it will be premiering in 2023. And it's actually, I do need to go back this winter and film um, an episode or two more, which I think will be interesting to do it. I'm trying to follow the trends too. Like it's, we're going to be meeting people who've, you know, up, upended their lives and moved to Italy. 
um, and are buying houses and starting their second, third chapter. I think all three of the ones we have in the episode have retired in Italy, but they're young retirees, or I think they're young, you know, they're in their, you know, 60s. And so, so this whole idea of taking it to that next level, next trend, next, you know, people were traveling and traveling and traveling for years, and now they're going for three months or they're buying a house. Where can people find the book? Oh, the book, it's called Dream of Italy, Travel, Transform, and Thrive. It's on Amazon.com, or you can come to dreamofitaly.com, and I sell signed copies, and the magazine is there, and you can see a free issue. You can see all of the episodes except the Travel, Transform, and Thrive special, which was a pledge special, so it will probably, it, it will be out, like, uh, you can see it on PBS, but they sort of save it from online for a while. Oh, thank you so much. This has been fantastic, connecting with you again create your own opportunity. Amen to that. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in media coaching for you or your team, please shoot me a note and please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera and Off. And as always, please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.